news, stories that impact your lives, culture, and the music you love. With a little Motor City flavor. On 1019 WDET. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. Several years ago, we began to hear about a new way of producing fuel that could power cars and motors using corn and soybeans. Biofuels were touted as a possible clean energy answer to gasoline, and they were subsidized pretty heavily by the government. But a new study from the University of Michigan says biofuels aren't so great. In fact, producing those biofuels is worse for the environment than using gasoline. The multi-billion dollar industry has expanded corn production and challenged the notion that biofuels are carbon neutral. Joining me now to talk about biofuels and their place in energy policy is John DeChico. He's a research professor at the University of Michigan Energy Institute. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, good to be here. Yeah. So uh, we have actually heard for some time, uh, I think in the background of the conversation about clean energy and biofuels, particularly that that the fear was that producing these things was itself uh, a, a pollutant of, of, of sorts, uh, that, that the energy and time and cost uh, of, of th- that had to be put into making corn or soybeans into fuel was worse than uh, gasoline. You, you seem to prove this in this, in this, uh, in this new study. <clears throat> Talk about uh, what, what it shows and why biofuels just are not this, uh, a clean answer. Sure, yeah. And, you know, I, uh, just be- before the, the break, I was listening uh, to and starting to salivate over that four-pound uh, donut. <laughs> and, um, I think that you know, sounds gross, John. I don't the, want the that The crux of the issue, I, I, that is actually related. <laughs> you know, we get our, our food, whether it's the wheat that goes into donuts or the uh, corn uh-huh. uh, that goes uh, into corn chips or indirectly, uh, into hamburgers via the cattle that eat it. And, and of course, soybean is also largely used, um, you know, as feed. Uh, uh, you know, we don't eat a lot of tofu here in the United States. Right. But, um, and the crux of the issue is not just the excess energy that it takes to produce biofuels, especially corn ethanol, but whether or not growing the crop that you use to make biofuels speeds up how quickly CO2 is pulled out of the air. And the the, uh, real question uh, that people haven't correctly addressed in the past until my study is to compare what's going on on the actual cropland. And if our cropland is being used, say, last year to to grow food crops, and it was going into food and feed, going into big donuts, hamburgers, whatever. Right. Uh, it's pulling CO2 out of the air at a certain rate. Um, and then next year we begin uh, using some of that crop to produce biofuel. Uh, have the farm fields pulled more CO2 out of the air just because you're using the corn to make ethanol instead of using it for food and feed? Yeah. And the answer is no. And because when you burn a biofuel, 
uh, it still has carbon in it. All ca- carbon is the fuel of life. So we use carbon-based fuels both to feed ourselves, like carbos, and of course gasoline has ancient carbon in it, and ethanol has carbon in it as well. And that's where most of the energy comes from. Right. So when you substitute the fuel. Uh, say ethanol for gasoline or biodiesel for regular diesel, you don't change how quickly CO2 is exhausted from the tailpipes. And because you haven't changed how quickly CO2 is being pulled out of the atmosphere on the farm fields, uh, right there, the sort of the basic situation is a wash, which, you know, which people have a little trouble believing at first, but (laughs) it's a wash And then when you go look at these other issues you raised about the energy and emissions costs of producing the biofuels, those are are worse than uh, the fossil fuels. So uh, the end uh, 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 end of the story is that when you actually look at what's going on on the ground, as opposed to into some computer model of an idealized world, you find out, oops, all these biofuels that we've been producing, where we greatly increased biofuel production over the last decade plus, uh-huh, uh-huh. are making matters worse instead of better as far as the climate is concerned. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and that's, I mean, it's a sort of crushing fact, right? Uh, to, it is. To, to people who, who, in very good faith, I think, uh, are, are trying to find alternatives to these fossil fuels, which I think... You know, we can all agree that uh, a it's a limited resource. B yep. it's a pollutant uh, that 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 is accelerating the warming of the planet. Whether you think that's the only reason or not, um, I mean, to to think that this one thing that we've, as I pointed out in the open, invested so much in uh, is 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 not doing what we what we have to do. It's it's hard to then figure out. All right, well, well, what's next? Well, that that's right. It. Um a lot of the backing of biofuels, especially among environmentalists who back them, and, and many still do, came from a, I would say, incomplete and, and but very incorrect view of the science of how carbon gets recycled in the world. Because uh-huh. the world constantly recycles carbon, you know, we, we you know, plants and ourselves, everything. And uh, they ended up doing a lot of computer modeling without checking the models with the facts on the ground. And that went on for a lot of years, yeah. uh, and the debate raged for a lot of years. You know, what my new study does, and I started working on this a good number of years ago, was like, you know, scratching my head and saying, well, what, what's the matter here? Why is there so much confusion? And I realized that you have to look at exactly how much CO2 is being removed by the crops. Right. And... Uh, I, I don't want the takeaway from this. I, okay, my study, you know, found that the biofuels we've been making in this country over the last decade are actually worse than petroleum fuels. So the takeaway is not that it's okay to just keep willy-nilly burning <laughs> petroleum fuels. Right. <laughs> uh, takeaway is that biofuels are a false solution. Right. So that you shouldn't go down that road. Um, but we still need to reduce those emissions through higher fuel economy, and of course that's, uh, you know, a big concern in this town because that means more cost to the automakers to improve the cars for efficiency. Uh, But, you know, that's 
probably worth doing. In fact, yeah. I, my view is it's certainly worth doing. And uh, electric cars, they're still costly, but by using electricity, you're no longer sending any CO2 out the tailpipe at all. So that's a reduction. And it turns out that even when you adjust for the power plants, by and large, electric cars are better. So that's really an economic question. Are they affordable enough? Do they have enough range and convenience? And those are still limiting factors. But then you say, well, what about this idea that we originally had around biofuels about recycling carbon? And the, the basic idea of pulling more carbon out of the air is a good one. But instead of using cropland that we already use and need for food and feed, a much better way to pull more carbon out of the air is to grow more trees right. because they right. grow and park the carbon. And especially in a state like Michigan, our natural resource base, you know, before Michigan was settled, most of the state was forest. We, because we're blessed, and especially these days we're thankful for plenty of moisture. Actually, we've had an yeah. awfully wet yeah. August. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that moisture and sunshine are the basic formula for growing trees well in our climate. And so the bottom line is instead of um, appropriating some of the crops, either here in Michigan or anywhere else in the Midwest, uh, to take them away from the food chain and, and use them to make fuel, which only makes matters worse for the atmosphere, we'd be better putting efforts into reforesting and restoring yeah. uh, other ecosystems that, that suck carbon out of the air naturally. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, really, uh, that's a really great point. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is John DeChico. He is a research professor at the University of Michigan Energy Institute, author of a study that talks about how biofuels, once touted as a possible clean energy answer to gasoline and heavily subsidized for the gov- by the government, uh, aren't such a great alternative. Producing biofuels is actually worse for the environment, it turns out, than using gasoline. If you want to join the conversation uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, how involved should the government be in, encur- in encouraging green technology development? Was it worth going down this biofuels road, uh, even though it turns out to not have panned out the way we thought it would? Uh, because maybe it teaches us something that leads us to another kind of alternative. Uh, John DiGico just talked about planting trees uh, as a way to pull carbon uh, out of uh, the atmosphere as opposed to focusing on biofuels. What are your ideas about how we get off of fossil fuels uh, and gasoline and towards something greener? 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, Derek in Warren, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Thank you. Uh Um, My question really was, why haven't we looked at hydrogen as a viable option? I mean, the current internal combustion engine burn things. If we use pure hydrogen, there's really no carbon involved. I, I mean, we can pull air from the atmosphere, we can get hydrogen from electrolysis, even either on either of the coasts or here in Michigan alone. Uh-huh. I don't see why we couldn't just convert to pure hydrogen burning it and maybe set up like, you know, gas stations where they swap tanks and things like that. Right. I was always curious about that. Good good question, Derek. Uh, John DeChico, research professor at the University of Michigan Energy Institute. Why don't we have uh, hydrogen-fueled vehicles? Well, you know, um, car companies are working on that. Um, they, they've been doing it 
uh, kind of in fits and starts over the years, there was actually a big push on hydrogen um, around the beginning of the uh, G.W. Bush administration. In, uh, you know, so that goes back, um, I guess, almost 16 years now, mm-hmm. Yeah, around 2000, after the 2000 election. General Motors had uh, some hydrogen prototypes, and there was a lot of talk about it. Um, it's being revived. Actually, Toyota um, has a hydrogen car now. Uh, Honda has had one for a number of years. Mm-hmm. There are a, at least a couple hydrogen fueling stations in uh, the greater Detroit area that um, have have been put in. Um, the big issue with hydrogen, uh, well, there's several big issues. You, you, you can make a hydrogen car. That's been done, and people believe you can drive down the cost of hydrogen cars pretty well over time. But it's non-trivial, and it's a pretty huge investment to, A, figure out how to produce huge quantities of hydrogen right. uh, in a way that is itself clean, uh, and then, B, put in the fuel network, uh, you know, an infrastructure to deliver hydrogen everywhere, which is uh, pretty challenging because hydrogen, it's the lightest substance on Earth. Uh, it's, uh, you know, of course, very flammable. Yeah. Um, it's not toxic itself, but, it, uh, you know, in an enclosed space, um, hydrogen uh, is far more prone to accidentally ignite it's than natural gas. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So and and unfortunately, the hydrogen for the hydrogen fuel cell cars has to be extremely pure. So like with natural gas, we put mercaptans in it, smelly sulfur-based compounds, so that we can detect leaks. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't know if there's a way to put that kind of scent <laughs> in in hydrogen, hydrogen and still have it work. So there's point. a lot of technical, technological and cost barriers there that stand between us and the hydrogen economy. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, Derek, again, thanks <clears throat> Thanks very much for your call. Uh, let's go to Trajan in Ann Arbor. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. So my question is uh, really whether or not the fact that the uh, biofuels are uh, bad for the environment is a uh, like caused because it is such a new technology, because it's only 10 years old, I wonder if we can't develop better systems for production, develop better uh, capturing technologies within the vehicles so that after another 10 years or so, they are more energy efficient, they are better for the environment than they are right now. Is that something that we can explore, or is it just sort of a dead end already? That's a great question, Trajan. Essentially, John DeChico, is there a way to make up for, I guess, uh, this this uh, <clears throat> this this deficit at, at the crop growing end somehow at mm-hmm. the, the fuel using end? Yep. I think is not is... Uh, not really not no. <laughs> certainly not anytime soon. Yeah. At soon being actually several decades. Yeah. Um, you know, people have tried and thought that they could make biofuels by other ways. You know, for many years, and the government has put literally billions of dollars into subsidizing different ways to make biofuels. And this has actually been going on for nearly 40 years. Uh-huh. Um, at, at this point, I consider those efforts to have failed, um, uh, given how much money is put into them and how uh, little uh, 
productive result has come come from that. Uh, you know, people talk about, say, cellulosic biofuels. You may have heard that term uh-huh. back when President G.W. Bush, who who created the ethanol mandate, um, he announced in his State of the Union address in um, 2007, uh, you know, a, a big expansion of the ethanol mandate, and was touting cellulosic ethanol as this you know, mythical fuel that you make, say, from switchgrass or something. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, those efforts have pretty much come to naught, uh, again, after decades of government subsidy and so on. Um, and to me, it goes back to the fact, okay, hey, reducing CO2, that's a pretty urgent problem. Uh, global warming, in my view, is a clear and present danger. Yeah. And you should be not asking well, what might, what mysterious magic bullet might we come up with, magic biofuels or whatever, but what's the best we can do to reduce emissions here and now? And um, when it comes down to it, it's the things that I was talking about before. Let's improve auto efficiency, and then let's uh, reforest and pull more carbon out of the air that way. Those are known solutions. They're not cost-free, but they're affordable. They don't face any daunting technological barriers. And we can go a long way with those for it's many decades. It's something you can do without having to resolve the question of whether that's uh, right. something could be improved with the, with the yep, biofuels. Yep. Yeah. And again, that's a, I would say at this point, that's pretty much a dead end, yeah. the idea that you could somehow make biofuels at, at large scale in a way that were, are, are uh, helpful rather than harmful. Right. Uh, Trajan in Ann Arbor, thanks very much for that call. Uh, John DeChico, uh, one, one last question. A caller... Uh, wanted to know who funded the research. Uh, that sure, that yep, able to that's do. A, a question that uh, comes up. Um, uh, the American Petroleum Institute was one of the funders on on this work, uh-huh. and uh, of course, um, you yeah, know that raises eyebrows. <laughs> right, of course, we know the oil right. industry doesn't like biofuels. <laughs> um, the uh, you know, if, for me as someone who has worked on the environmental side of this for you know all of my career. Um, it is a strange bedfellow situation. Uh-huh. Um, un- unfortunately, because the vested interest in biofuels, both on the in, in large parts of the environmental funding uh, community as well as the government agencies, um, kind of didn't want to touch this question. I think they maybe felt it was a Pandora's box, and and it turned out to be, yeah. and uh, it it evolved that you know the American Petroleum Institute wasn't interested. Uh, for their own reasons. So that's how that came about. Uh, they did not influence uh, the direction of my work at all. Uh, I'd been on record uh, raising very critical, skeptical questions about biofuels for many years before uh, we got the money from the Petroleum uh-huh. Institute to do uh, this particular study. So uh, I think that's a good question. It's an appropriate question. We disclosed that you know, in the acknowledgments of our technical paper that was released yesterday. Yeah. But uh, that uh, doesn't change the results. The facts, uh, the crop cropland data we used uh, uh, speaks uh, for yeah. itself. Well, and it raises these, I mean, it raises really important uh, criticisms of uh, the, the, the way we have doubled down on this uh, for so long. So uh, John DeChico, research professor, University of Michigan Energy Institute, thanks very much for being with us on Detroit Today. 
You're welcome, Stephen. Yeah. Take care. All right, you too. Uh, up next, we're going to talk more about how policy around green technology does or doesn't work to benefit the environment. Uh, Nick Schreck, director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic here at Wayne State University, is going to be here. And stay with us on the phones. What do you think about energy policy, green forms of fuel and things like that? Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson. Thanks for being here. There's no question that we as a society need to think more deeply about human impact on the environment and create avenues to mitigate the harm we do. To that end, governments across the globe are its part of the conversation. They have to be. But which policies work? Which proposals could do better than we're doing now? We just had a conversation with a researcher at the University of Michigan about the limitations of biofuels as uh, green alternatives to fossil fuels. Now joining me is Nick Schreck, director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic here at Wayne State University to talk more broadly about energy policy. Nick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Stephen. I love that name, Transnational <laughs> Environmental Law Clinic. That we're working it... with our friends in Canada. You know, We're working on these global issues, these <laughs> global right. environmental issues. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the whole biofuels question. Yeah. Uh, the, the research that uh, John DeChico did at the University of Michigan says that the crop growing itself doesn't pull enough CO2 out of the air to, to, to make this worthwhile. He points out that that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying, uh, but that we need to try in different ways. And in some ways, uh, this is a great lesson in failure perhaps being part of the, the the process of reaching success, right? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, part of it is, you know, trying to maximize what we can do here in this country as far as growing crops. And, and you know, corn is something that we can grow and we have grown. But I mean, as, as he rightly points out, I mean, there's a lot of challenges with the amount of fertilizer that goes into growing corn, the amount of irrigation that has to be done. It's a lot of energy that goes into growing that corn. And then the output that you get uh-huh. in terms of ethanol isn't right. that great. You know, sugarcane is actually a lot better source of, of ethanol, but we're not growing a lot That's of sugarcane right. in, uh, in the oh. continental United States. And so, you know, and other things like switchgrass and other crops, um, they don't have the same sort of uh, support and lobby behind them that, that our, our, our corn growing does. So, I mean, all of that enters into it. But, I mean, you do, like you said, you do have to try. I mean, there are things we need to look at getting off oil, but I think one of the best strategies that we've seen is, is increasing the economy, the fuel economy of vehicles. So yeah. regardless of what input we're putting into those cars, we're making them more efficient, and that's really helping helping out. With I them. mean, is it a question of uh, us not finding alternative fuel sources <clears throat> so much as making fossil fuel more efficient and more, you know, always more efficient? Or is there is there stuff out there that that uh, we just haven't really invested in the research to find out about yet, or thought of that would be as as useful a, a power source for our vehicles uh, and and cleaner? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some really interesting work that's been done. I mean, you guys just talked about um, hydrogen and hydrogen yeah. fuel cells, 
But I mean, even there, there's other really interesting stuff. I mean, just with the electric vehicles, if, if you think about um, if we really seriously invested, I mean, we as a public invested in electric vehicles or the, like a vehicle like the Volt where you have right. the gasoline electric hybrid, I mean, that savings can be just astronomical um, in the amount of, of fuel that is conserved by, by switching to more electric. And, and yeah, you still have the challenges with, okay, we have to generate that electricity, but as we're bringing more and more renewables onto our electric grid, uh, wind and solar, really beefing up that type of, of electrical generation, electric vehicles start to look more and more right. um, beneficial, not only to the environment, but also in our pocketbooks because the cost keeps coming down pretty dramatically. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Shane and Ypsilanti, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, yeah, hi. Hey. Um, so my comment uh, and, and question actually is about uh, the redefinition of fuel and the redefinition of crops and agriculture. I think that when we talk about crops, we talk about, uh, you know, these sort of somewhat exotic plants that, like you say, take a ton of energy and input in order to grow, uh, as well as usually a bunch of fossil fuels, um, where, you know, if we were to invest in perennial and regenerative agricultural practices and crops, uh, maybe we'd get more benefit out of that. I mean, like, take, for example, uh, we put a lot of energy and money into battling invasive species. Right. But these are plants that grow readily without any extra energy, right? Right, without any extra we effort, be, sure. We could be harnessing that <laughs> nature's ability to well, push forward a plant or, uh, really well. You know, take, like, a box elder tree, for example. Right, uh, right. It's, it's ethanol production ability per acre goes far and beyond anything like switchgrass or corn right. because it grows cubic feet, right? You were talking cubic acres sure. when you grow things into the sky. Yeah. Right? That's a, Shane, that's a really interesting uh, that's a really interesting point. Uh, Nick Shrek, I want to give you a chance to, to answer that because I don't I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely right. I mean there's there's fast growing species of plants that have a you know yeah pretty good energy output and we don't have to add fertilizer to them, right? They're just occurring. Um, I mean I was thinking I have some poison ivy in my yard that I'd be happy to throw into a <laughs> a big vat and turn it into energy. Right. I mean there's there's a lot of stuff that grows uh, very effectively and efficiently in this climate. Um, and, and I, you know, to a larger point, I do have a problem, and a lot of people in the environmental community have a problem with using our arable land for food, you know, food production land for energy. For I mean, energy. It's, it yeah. really raises a lot of, I think, um, fundamental questions about our policies and where we're going. The difference between the, the box elder tree and the, the, the vines, the, the kudzu and poison ivy and corn is that you don't have, um, you know, the, the farm lobby behind behind those yeah. trees oh. and those products. Right, right. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so, if I mean, if you could, though, uh, create a, a kudzu farm or a, a box elder farm, I mean, would yeah. it would it really work the way that... Uh, well, and the other thing to remember is, is scale, okay? So, we, we use a lot of fuel, and I, I don't have the, you know, updated numbers as, you know, yeah. how many millions of gallons a day we use right. in gasoline but to scale up i mean you need a lot of woody biomass to meet that need so oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so for the foreseeable future you're still going to have um petroleum-based fuels um and then we're going to continue to invest in, in electric vehicles but Absolutely. the thing is yeah if you can work at the margins and maybe produce ethanol from um these other types of of feedstocks like um you know, box elder is a great example. You know, using those kinds of trees um, instead of corn, I think you then lessen some of those climate impacts that um, Mr. DeSico talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'd like to I'd like to add too, if there's time, that sure. uh, you know you can you can stack these systems like you know say box elder tree or any, any other kind of tree. You know, you can grow food 
underneath and along with, and you can have animals grazing, you know, these alley cropping and uh, silvopasturing and agroforestry. These are all terms that talk about how to grow food from a forest system, which is highly productive, you know, like right. the, uh, Michigan is a, or at one time mostly was a, uh, uh, oak savanna biome, which is calorically <laughs> the most productive biome on the planet. And we could be harnessing that. You know, we used to yeah. support mastodons here on, <laughs> right. on, you know, on this part of the world. You know, that's a huge animal. It takes a lot of calories to yeah. make that thing live. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we can do that here. Um, yeah. Shane, we're not thanks. making grow corn here. Right. You know? <laughs> right. No, you're right. Shane, thanks very much. Uh, for the call and those and those comments, I mean, what he what he's getting at there is is the policy choices that we're making about uh, not just it's not just energy, it's also food. These all, these things all tie in together. Absolutely, and and you you have to always think about those policy considerations and what's driving those policy decisions. You know, what's driving our politics? Who's investing in uh, electing officials and, and driving that policy? And um, you know. Listening to the last segment, I was thinking about I did some hurricane relief in Honduras uh, about ten years ago, and deforestation of the mountains in Honduras has caused huge problems for for flooding impacts has happened all over the world. But one of the guides he said that you know those mountains were intended to grow pine trees. Yeah. That's what's supposed right. to be there, but nobody gets rich growing pine trees. <laughs> right, so and so that's the thing else. you have to think about, right? I mean, yeah, we, we do forest products, but it's always with the idea of in 30 years we cut them down yeah. for lumber or something. So, you know, just reforesting the state is, I think, a laudable goal, but it's something that you have to look at the realities of, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> who's going <laughs> to pay for right. it? Right. Right. All right. Uh, Nick Schreck, director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic here at Wayne State University. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. I'll be back Monday. I hope you will, too. This is one 1019 WDT Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station.